0: Hello and welcome to the Better Questions podcast. My name is Dan Drake. I'm here with my brother, Andrew. And uh, later on in the podcast, you'll hear our conversation with our good friend, Chris Nelson. And uh, this podcast episode is kind of like a pilot for us. This was uh, the first time we got together to test this out. You could call it episode zero if you wanted to. Um, And in this episode, we were still finding our rhythm and uh, still playing with the format a little bit. So you'll hear us uh, sometimes break the fourth wall, if you will, and discuss a little bit of the format in the forum, and that's okay. And uh, originally, we were not going to release this, but after we had the conversation, we really felt that it was uh, valuable, fruitful, and really um, just showed a really nice preview of what we wanted this to be. So we decided to go ahead and upload it. Now note that the audio quality of this podcast is not to the level that we're going to want it to be. We didn't think we were going to be releasing it originally, and we're still messing around with different equipment, different microphones. And when we settle on the mics that we want to use and the equipment we want to use, Um, we're going to have the best possible sound. So please forgive the audio quality of this introductory episode. Um, But before we move on, I want to turn things over to my brother, Andrew, and he's going to explain um, a little bit more about what this podcast is and uh, why we do it and the structure we're going to use in each episode. Andrew? Hey. Hey. So
1: we wanted to make this podcast because we believe asking questions in your faith journey is really important. And we've often found that questions are either pushed aside or not dealt with in uh, the church community, or we tend to focus and uh, obsess over maybe misguided questions. So our purpose here is to start asking questions and find which questions are the most helpful in following and pursuing Jesus. And so our structure in this podcast is very simple. We have three beats that we hit. We want to talk about how the question has been answered in the past or is currently being answered. So the common ways people in church answer the question. And then we went on to move to show the underlying assumptions of those answers. And if they are valuable or what the biases are or why the questions are even being asked what's behind it what's the purpose just so we can evaluate all these answers because by evaluating the way it's commonly answered we can find the weaknesses and strengths in moving forward to answer a better question which leads us to the end and at the end we want to not pre we don't pre come up with this this isn't pre-planned. we want through the conversation, based on everything we've said, to, on the spot, make and articulate a better question. And what we mean by better isn't objectively more valuable. By better, we simply just mean more helpful. What's truer uh, to the path that leads to Christ? What questions will help us live out the question and not just obsess over it? And so, by better, we just mean what's more helpful? And that's basically our structure.
0: Well said, Andrew. Thank you for that. And so without further ado, we'd like to get to this episode, episode zero, entitled, How Old is the Earth?
1: the full spectrum of beliefs, Christian beliefs are on the age of the earth, because it probably gets really specific the more personal you make it. Everyone's probably tailored their own views. But you have the more straightforward, for lack of a better better label, conservative view, which is the earth is 6,000 to 10,000 years old based on the genealogies in Genesis. I think there are a group of Christians who would say the earth is closer to the age presented in modern science classrooms. Um, But that's not having anything to do with evolution or anything. That's just because they believe in a gap between Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. So there are a large group of Christians who believe that the creation story is exactly the way the Bible tells it. But between verse 1 and verse 2, there's like a gap of millions and billions of years. And I, there are, are probably a good number of Christians who hold that view.
0: I see. And when you say, you just said it different just now, for so for clarity, between verse 1 and verse 2 or between, between chapter 1 and chapter 2? Oh,
1: verse 1 and verse 2, not verse chapter one. 1 and chapter 2. No.
0: Verse 1 and verse 2. So, would you say that those are the two predominant views that you're either... Be- Choosing to say this is a biblical view of six to ten thousand years old, and then what we might call the modern scientific view.
1: Well, I would differentiate what I just described from the modern scientific view. Okay, because obviously a, a secular scientist wouldn't go would would disagree with that assessment. Because there's a whole bunch of like reasons. The reasons for believing that are completely different. I see. It's just that there are some Christians who add the same amount of years, but, but the same process, but this, but large amount of years. And they just put it between those two verses. But then I, I'd add a third group. There are a group of Christians who some would call liberal who see the creation story differently, which is not what we're talking about, but they see the Christian story differently more um, from a storytelling point of view, more mythic and would accept the scientific view of the age of the earth
0: so you're so to sum up and Chris I want to let you jump in here you're saying that the three views you could say one is a conservative view for lack of better labeling that's six to ten thousand years old a very literal reading of the scripture would uh, speak into that. then there's a second view based on reading the Bible um, still wanting to be true to the literal events of creation, but allowing for some room between the first two verses for the age of the earth to be more than six days at the outset, even if it's still six to 10,000 from then, it could be however long, thousands, a million between verse one and verse two. And then you're saying that there might be a group of liberal Christians who would completely look at the scripture as um, something symbolic and mythic that has nothing to do with telling the age of the Earth or right. telling time. Chris, what are you? What's your response?
2: Yeah, I would agree with that, but I would maybe add a couple facets to it. Um, I would say another viewpoint taken by Christians who, who want to hold to a more literal biblical account, but would still see the earth as being old, would also believe that the days spoken of in Genesis don't mean 24-hour mm. period days, but more like ages. So when God created something the first day, the second day, the third day, those are actually long periods of time being referred to as a day. Uh, and, and the other thing I would kind of add is I, I would actually disagree, maybe a little bit with Andrew. For of course Christians you would. Who
1: of course you believe would
2: believe in an old earth. I think that the reasons they come to that conclusion are actually very much the same as the scientific view. Because I don't think that it's natural for people to read the Bible, and purely based on that alone, come to the conclusion that the earth is billions of years old. I think those Christians see that the scientific viewpoint is compelling to them, and then they go back and say, well, how could we read the Bible in a way that could coexist with that scientific understanding?
1: Right. I think what I meant, to defend myself if I will, (laughs) is they would disagree with the process in which those years unfolded, if that makes sense. Yeah. Which I I know is not what we're talking about, but that's why I was hesitant to say they come from the same background.
0: So for our our purposes, as we move on to our second segment, which I think may be more interesting. Actually, can I add one more before we move on? Yes, please do.
1: I do think there are a group of Christians who their position on this topic is, I don't care. Like I really do think there are a lot of Christians who are going to church and they hear a sermon on Genesis and they're fully engaged and they're loving it. But like, they just really don't care if the earth is 6,000 years old or what is, what is it? 4.5 billion or whatever. 4.6, 4.6 billion. And it's just like, they don't care. And that is something I want to come back to towards the end is like, what, what does this question really do for us? But I do think there are a portion of Christians you just don't care what the answer is. They don't care,
0: yeah. So to sum up so far, uh, I like that. What what I was going to say before is we could even take, we'd split it into three. I feel like we could lump two of those three together as um, the view of we're going to, wh- however we got to it, we're going to take adopt the more scientific view because we find it compelling and then try to make it fit, however they make it fit biblically, whether that's between verses 1 and 2 or just completely looking at it as mythic.
2: Hey, Dan, if it's not too late, I would actually also like to add my most favorite explanation. Sorry, it's too late.
0: Sorry. Okay. Go for Um,
2: it. We did forget also the uh, answer that the earth is actually only six to 10,000 years old, but God just made it appear Mm. billions of years old. Oh, right? I'm so
0: glad you brought that yep. up.
2: In in the same sense that it seems God created Adam as a grown man versus as an infant, it would be said, well God could have created the world to already look older than it actually is.
0: Yes. I, I'm glad you brought that up um because when we get to the the second segment, um I'm going to want to speak into that. Yeah. Because and that I is, just And before we move on... really interesting view.
1: I want to be clear for this podcast and the future podcast that we, all three of us, have biases to these questions and have our own ideas as to answers, and you'll probably hear those. But regardless of where you land, our goal is not to come up with the answer. Our goal is to find a question that helps us wrestle with the potential answers and questions that help us live our life. So... Whatever Wherever you land, this isn't a place where we're judging the answers, but we're just weighing, is this question relevant? What's a better question?
0: Yes, yes. I think uh, those of you listening to our episode zero, you're going to hear us talk about some thoughts on future podcasts, and I think we should actually start episode one, Andrew, with you saying that Mm. right up front right uh, before we get into anything so that people really know what they're getting into right um, before they're 15 minutes in. Yeah. Uh, but they're
1: making fun of my belief. <laughs> what is this? We
0: invited Brian Regan yeah. to the show. But everyone. He's going to show up every once in a while. Uh <laughs> Anyway, so I, to sum up where we are, if I am handling this correct, we're going to lump two views we talked about earlier together. We're going to have the... Um,
1: people love their views lumped together. <laughs> that's
0: right. <laughs> uh. We're going to have the conservative view, the earth is six to 10,000 years old because that's how we're literally interpreting the Bible and that's what we want to believe. Then you're going to have the people that find the scientific view, age of the earth compelling and they want to try and reconcile that with the scripture in a number of ways, then you're going to have people that are kind of, I just call it like a, a compromising group that want to take the best, the greatest hits of both of those views and put it together and say, well, in reality, the earth is six to 10,000 years old, but God made it look like it's 4.6 billion years old Mm -hmm. uh, in the same way that he created Adam to look 45 years old when in reality, he was two seconds old. I
1: have sources that tell me he looked 21 years old. But oh, okay. Yeah.
0: I might have got that right. Yeah. And then the fourth view, which I think is a great view, a uh, great point by Andrew. Yes, Mark that down. <laughs> the I don't care viewpoint, which I think you're right. A lot of people fall into. Um, so now as we have our four views, um, I think we should talk through the biases that, um, that go into each of those views, starting with the first one, which would be the conservative or literal interpretation view. The earth is what six to 10,000 years old.
1: What's at stake for them believing that?
2: Yeah. Well, I think that that one is, is one of the easier ones to see what's at stake. And I can appreciate the feelings behind it because if you were to read Genesis super literally and you were to say, okay, it says this person was this many years old, then this, this many years old and do all the math and come up to it. If we say, well, even though the Bible says that it's not actually that many years old, it's something different, then all of a sudden that creates the mindset of, oh, well, something that the Bible says is wrong. And if that's the case, then what else in the Bible is wrong? And and can we trust anything that's in the Bible? And so it kind of becomes a a slippery slope that snowballs out of control to where it feels like, well, if we can't take that literally when the Bible says it, then we can't take anything the Bible says to heart.
0: Right. Right. They, they would say you're picking and choosing what you're taking literally and what you're taking figuratively, almost like willy nilly or at random. And, Um, uh, I've
1: listened, Ken Ham is one of the biggest proponents of this. He's the creator of answers in Genesis. So I'm not just picking on the pick, pick on him. Like he is out there advocating this position. And what I've heard him say is, uh, this isn't a direct quote, but he says often, this isn't an issue of the age of the earth or science. It's an issue of God's word. Mm. And for him, the reason he's so adamant about this and he's he's dedicated his life's work to advocating this view is he thinks that this is an issue on, on taking God's word seriously and respecting the authority of scripture. So I totally understand why he and his coworkers and colleagues are so adamant about literal six days, 6,000, 10,000 years old, is because for him, it's an issue of God's word and taking God's word seriously, whereas myself and others would disagree with how he takes God's word seriously and how he interprets God's word. Right, there are right. other and ways another, to, to take God's yeah. word
0: seriously. Yeah.
2: yeah, and kind of the direction I've heard Ken Ham and other people from Answers in Genesis take is, well, if God says the earth is this old and science says something different or specific scientists say something different Then, in their mind, that is a, there's a clear winner there of whose word outweighs the other person's. And so even if it seems like all scientific evidence points in a certain direction, they would say, well, if God says something different, then that has to be the right answer. Right.
0: Right.
1: And I think what we have to ask ourselves is, is that a an a appropriate concern and is their concern in the right place i think that if we're going to ask a better question or find a better question to this i do agree that's for them the authority of god's word is serious i agree with that as well but we have to discover are they are they placing that concern in the right area?
0: Well, I think the way to do that is to look at the other views, because right. in looking at the bias of the other views or the, or what's at stake there, I think we will bring up some um, what would be like uh, re- rebuttals or responses to their right. to that view. So uh, moving on to the second, which would be um, someone who. Uh, finds the scientific age of the earth 4.6 billion years old compelling yet wants to reconcile that with the scripture Uh, what's at stake for that view
1: the scientific view
0: yeah someone who who finds the scientific view compelling but wants to reconcile that view with the scripture Mm. in the sense of you know saying that well there's billions of years between verse one and verse two or Correct. finding a way to say um, that the days aren't literally
1: I think I think for them um, and I think at one point in my life I was probably some somewhat in that group is I think what it, what's at stake for them is intellectual honesty mm. not to say that the other view it isn't intellectual what I mean by that is they are convicted by studying science that, they're really convicted by the evidence, and they want to be open-minded, and they're convinced by their experience. But at the same time, they're, they re, they, they've they they been taught or they believe to read the Bible a certain way, and they're convicted by that. And it's almost like this intellectual honesty. How do I stay true to all my convictions without erasing one? I think that's what's at stake for them. There might be a better way to articulate that.
2: Well, and, and I would add to that, I think that a lot of people in that camp, especially ones that would say, well, maybe the days aren't literal 24-hour periods, or maybe it was just it was created with the appearance of age, I think that for them, they actually have the same exact mindset of what I just said earlier of Ken Ham and Answers in Genesis. They would just take a different approach where they would say, well... If God says something that has to be true, and so if all of the scientific evidence is pointing in one direction, then God must have said that. We must just not be seeing how he said that. And so we're going to find ways that it could appear that God did actually say that to reconcile mm-hmm. the two.
0: Right. And I think we lumped into this camp also people that look at uh, the view or look at Scripture and particularly the creation accounts, a little bit more mythic or symbolic, um, and so I'll just share a little bit about where where my journey with this. I, I think I started in that first, the first camp of like literal six day uh, creationist, you know, six to ten thousand years old. I just found that evidence compelling at first, and uh, particularly like some arguments about. Um, taking the word yom in Hebrew to mean day, you know, literally, and some other arguments. But then one of the things that that really got me into the second camp was a study of physics and knowing that when I first learned that when we're looking up at the night sky, that stars, Mm. where the light travels at 186,000 miles per second. So that means a light year is the distance light has to travel going that fast in a year. So think about 186,000 miles per second is circling the Earth like eight times in a second, right? So light's going that fast. It has to travel a certain distance in a year. Like that's mind-boggling. If you're in a second, you're circling the Earth eight times. In a year, think about how far that is. And then if you're thinking about, well, the closest star is like, two light years away. No, that's not right. I don't know how far the closest star is. Don't look is. at me. Sorry. Uh, it's super far. Let's just put it that right. way. So we're... The when scientific we, term, super far. <laughs> super far. <laughs> when we're looking at it, we're seeing the stars in the past, right? The farthest star away is like a hundred million light years away that we can see, which means it took that light a yep. hundred million years to travel to my eyeball when I look at night. And some of those
1: stars we're seeing aren't there anymore. Exactly. We're seeing where they were millions of years ago.
0: Right. And when I first heard that, I'm like, how could the universe be millions and millions and billions of years old with these stars that literally took the light that long to travel, yet God made the earth and the universe six to 10,000 years ago, it just didn't make sense to me. So finding that scientific evidence compelling, I then had to go back and go to scripture and go, how can I reconcile these things? Right. And uh, in doing that, um, I've, I'm still on a journey with it. I started in that first group of like, maybe there's millions of years in between verse one and two, and I've slowly gone more to the, uh, maybe it's it's actually um, a poem. The first, right. the first chapter of Genesis. That's where I've landed. Um, I don't knock anybody else that lands other places. And I, and
1: I think it, what how a lot of people in that first group would push back on that is they would say, so for you, what's at stake is your experience, but for us, what's at stake is what God says. And, and that is something we're going to have to wrestle with because there is a sense where the temptation, I don't want to have all my concern purely on my experience of the world as opposed to what God says. But then I would push back, are you certain that is what God, are you are you interpreting exactly what God is actually wanting you to interpret or how the authors wanted you
0: to interpret that? Exactly. Chris, do you have yeah. anything to weigh in?
2: Well, I think that what Andrew just said is an okay point because... Thank you. Uh, I don't want to give him the credit of saying that was a good point, Um, because the the problem with what you just said, Dan, for some other people would be well, if that's the case, where does that stop? Does that mean that the resurrection of Jesus Christ was just a poem? That it was something that was just figurative, something that's just a metaphor for something else? And, And I can understand the the fear in that mindset of, well, if we begin to say that about this, where does it stop? Because I, I mean, to most people, myself included, like, I feel like it is pretty important that the resurrection of Jesus was a real literal thing absolutely. versus just a, a poem. And so I think that's where the tension lies.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, um, What I would say in response is it's like I said, it's been a journey and I can't chronicle my journey and reasoning fully for where I am uh, fully. But what I can say not with
1: that attitude.
0: (laughs) um, I can. I just meant in the time allotted. But uh, what I can say is that um, I go by I don't just pick and choose randomly. I go by if you uh, the original genre of the writing. You look at each book. There's 66 books in the scripture and you have to look at each each one uh, as what it is. What genre is the book? And then not only that, uh, but just you just have to study deeper into author's intention and uh, ancient literary styles and forms. You can just go so much deeper and you discover that um, there's a lot more to that book than just taking the English translation literally to what it sounds like to an American in the 21st century. Um, there's a lot more to delve, and I would I would say that by doing that homework, you're, you are then um, honoring the scripture even highly than just taking the English words right. literally in well, the 21st century. And,
1: he, and here's what I would like to add. People who even say they adopt a plain reading or literal reading of scripture, they don't mean that. There, there are no Baptists walking around with their eyes ripped out because right. they looked at a woman. You know what I mean? And they would say, well, of course, Jesus is using rabbinic hyperbole in that moment. So they're doing exactly what you just said. You, you interpret and read based on the genre and style. You use cultural context. And what people in the third camp would say, we agree with you. It's just that we apply that in Genesis, whereas you interpret Genesis as a purely historical document. Other people see Genesis and they read it as ancient Near Eastern mythical creation stories. We have plenty of examples of ancient Near Eastern creation stories that are very similar to Genesis that have their own genre and style. And we say, well, because of that evidence, those people interpret Genesis one more poetically or thematically or mythically. And myth and myth doesn't mean fake. That's not what myth means. Right. Mythbusters has kind of been a proponent of that. Myth is just something beyond truth, bigger than truth, something truth that goes deeper. Um Chris, were you about to say something?
2: Yeah, well, if I may, I'd like to kind of dovetail off of that and maybe i'm opening a can of worms that's too big for just this one episode that but doesn't I'll sound least, like you i'll at least throw it out there Th- this is where i see a distinction between two groups of people that we have lumped together in this middle category um where some people look at kind of what I pointed out about, well, if we say that that is figurative or a metaphor or a poem or whatever word, then where does that end? And so they would say, well, we are taking a literal reading of scripture. We just think that this literal reading of scripture actually does match up with what science says, because what scripture actually is saying is, these days are ages, or there's this long length of time between the first two verses or whatever. They're trying to put those two things together. Whereas another side of the group might be saying, well, we don't think that the Bible is actually trying to communicate what science is saying, but we agree with what science is saying, and we're okay with that. And the question becomes, if you were to get into a time machine and be able to go back in time to when the authors of Genesis were compiling this book together and ask them the question, well, do do you think that this account of Genesis is really how and when God created, or do you interpret it metaphorically, poetically, figuratively, what would the answer be? And some people would say, Well, the answer would be they thought it was the real way because they are an ancient mindset, but that's not actually how it was. And other people would say, "Well, no, they didn't mean that because that's not how, like, that's not what they were trying to write." And I think that's a an important question to answer that takes you a very different way depending on how you answer it.
0: Right, right, yeah, and I think. Um, Maybe to wrap up this middle section before we move on to the third, um, I think we can just sum up this by saying like, all of this comes down to not the text. The text is the same for everyone who reads it. It it comes down to your interpretation of the text and um, how much uh, weight and credit you give to studying historical context and literary style and author's intention and things like that. Some people give that a lot of weight. Um, Some people maybe give it too much weight. Some people not enough. And uh, you know, I think that just comes to whatever, like Andrew said, like you're comfortable, you're comfortable with and how much you feel like that honors the text. Like all of us, I just want to be clear. We're just trying to honor the text as God's word. And for some of us, that means Um, you know, we believe that God through the Holy Spirit steered even the English translation and we have, you know, everything we need to from God. And uh, that's a very valid view. And some people would say that, um, that, you know, things have gotten wrong in the translation and we have to completely study the historical context in the original language. And I think that's valid too. Uh,
1: Yeah. it's, It's unfair, no matter what you believe, to accuse the other as not taking God's word seriously exactly. you're not holding authority because those who read Genesis more mythically or analyze it from a storytelling perspective, they are taking it seriously because if that's how they believe the original authors intended it to be, the most respectable thing you could do is interpret the way it was intended to be written. And those who interpret it very literally believe that that's how it was supposed to be interpreted so the most respectful thing for them to do is interpret it that way so it's unfair to accuse any side as like well you don't take it as seriously as i do or you don't hold it with the same authority as i do i want to dispel that in this not that we were doing that but like in the larger conversation that needs to disappear
2: and not only is it unfair to say that one side doesn't take the Bible as seriously as the other, but then it's even more just flat out wrong to say, "Well, one side of this argument is not a Christian, right, yeah which I've seen some people do, and that that's where it gets really difficult because I don't remember what part of the creed says. Your belief on how old the Earth is, but I am pretty sure that didn't make it in as a definition of whether or not. Do you believe Jesus
1: is the Christ, the Son of the Living God, and that the Earth is six thousand years old? Yes, you are baptized.
0: <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, and and uh, I am glad we we started going back. We started talking a lot about biblical interpretation, and I think that what
1: fancy people call hermeneutics. Correct.
0: I think that that even could merit its own episode, though we've covered a lot of ground with it. Getting back to the age of the earth, though, we want to get to that third camp, which is um, one of not a view I hold, but just one of my favorite views. I just think it's, it's uh, a really clever way to solve that tension of, I see scientific evidence out there, but I also want to stay true to um, my principles and things I grew up believing. So they say... Um, God just kind of made into existence a universe and an earth that appears to be much older than it actually is. I, I
1: consider this like the interview opinion, whereas like when you're in an interview and they ask you hard questions and opinions, you want to give them an answer that pleases everybody, you know, it's like, well, it, it, it's this, but it's also that. Right, right, right. I I mean, people ask you this or this, and you're like, yes, that's what that is.
0: Chris, you you reminded us of this. Do you have thoughts on this uh, view?
2: Um, You know, it's so hard. It's kind of like theories that are like, well, maybe all of reality that is around us doesn't actually exist. Maybe it's just a projection. We're in the matrix. Maybe. Like, how could we ever know that? So, yeah, like... I can't do anything to disprove the theory that God just created things with apparent age, but I can't do anything to prove that theory either. Like it's possible, but there's not really any way to ever know for sure. All we have is the scientific evidence in front of us that seems to pretty clearly say one thing and we have to interpret that in some way.
0: Yeah. I've been debating on uh, whether or not to share like, some of my thoughts on this because I don't want to ever sound like I'm like really being uh, overly judgmental on somebody's beliefs. Uh, but I, I just feel like it's com- it was compelling to me and it might be compelling to somebody else. But one of my favorite things I've heard in response to this view is the idea of if God did that, right? And made Adam, let's say 21 to appease Andrew, and the people he heard that. I, from. I just want to make sure he's drinking legally, okay? <laughs> I don't know what he's doing in that garden. Right then, he you know presumably he he could have also created a whole history for Adam, um, memories even, and for think about like if he made the stars their light already reaching us, like I mentioned mm-hmm. earlier, then it's like he's 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 basically almost writing billions of years of history, and so one of the people I've heard try to um, dissuade people from believing this, he said, how do you know for a fact that God didn't create the universe yesterday right? and just created you with all your memories? This moment right now is the first moment of history and everything else has been, has just been poofed into existence.
1: Well, to add on top of that, I don't know if we're we're thinking of the same author who made these arguments, but I've heard people respond to that belief system in the sense that if God really did create the universe and the earth with apparent age and just made it look that way, like he's, God's basically, these are my words now, God's a troll. He's just trolling everybody. Like there, there is no, what reason is there for God to create the earth and universe To be observable, and then when we, his creation, observe it, we're getting like this fake, this artificial answer. Like, well, it's not really that old. It just looks
0: that old. Is God like bored? And he's just like... (laughs) He just wants to cause conversation and controversy. It's just...
1: If they can give me a good reason as to why, and maybe even a biblical reason or hermeneutical reason as to why God would like feel compelled to create the earth and universe with apparent age where when we study it with our best sciences, we get answers that really aren't answers. That's the part that confuses me. And if you believe that, like, feel free to write me some angry tweets. You can, <laughs> well, you can find me at Dan Drake on
0: Twitter. Hilarious.
2: And to be, to be fair, like I will be the first to say that if God wanted to create the earth with apparent age. I totally believe that he could have. He could, absolutely. And, like, I can't say for 100% sure that he did not. Like, it is possible that he did. But um, Pete Enns wrote an article... That's who
1: I was referencing. ...kind
2: of debunking, in his opinion, the idea of apparent age. And what he says, which doesn't necessarily mean any of us agree with, but what he says... Uh, Two reasons he doesn't believe it are, one, that he feels like it makes the facts fit the theory, that you look at what science is showing and saying, well, how can we try to force that into what we feel like we have to believe about Scripture? And then another reason he says is that if you believe that, it's just another way of picking and choosing. Because he says, well, there are other passages in Scripture that would make it look like belief that the earth is flat. So does that mean that God just created the earth with apparent roundness, but it's actually flat? He said, you know, there are there's a, a verse that would make it, in where Joshua talks about the sun standing still, that would make it appear that the sun is what moves and the earth is stationary. Well, does that mean that there's, like, just apparent? It's just apparent that the... Uh, that the sun is still and the earth rotates, even though that's not true and and I think that those are fair arguments to make
0: for sure. and I think a good way maybe to close this second uh, segment um, of the well we haven't talked about the i don't care. I guess we could do that as well. But, but before that, we move yeah. on to that, um, like I think a good way to sum up this is to say that a lot of us when we when we think about biblical interpretation, we w- we're looking at a world around us, a real-life world with physics and chemistry and biology and archaeology, and uh, there are things that we can see with our own eyes, gravity, thermodynamics, you know, lots of different things in physics, and it's like all of these sciences and studies have to reconcile with our faith and with the Scripture because otherwise our faith is a fairy tale like if this bible said there is no gravity why would we cling to that when we we all know obviously there is now not all sciences are as obvious as gravity or as thermodynamics we're getting into you know theoretical physics and we're getting into um like, you know, how the distance of stars and stuff that we can't all just apparently know and see as much as gravity. At the same time, though, there are some of us that put a lot of um, weight into modern science. And if you are someone that does that, like you have to, you want to at least in your heart reconcile those things that you see, those things that you read with the faith that you hold dear. And um, I think that's everybody's heart, no matter what view you have, you're looking at the world around you and you're saying, I hold these faith beliefs, but I also hold beliefs about the things I'm seeing in the natural world. And I'm trying my best to make all those things reconcile together.
1: I think to start this third section where we start to figure out what's the better question. I think the best way to start that is we have to I want to explore is is the question of the age of the earth and the universe and everything in it on the mind of the authors or is it even explicit explicitly topical in the Genesis text itself? Because if it isn't or doesn't seem to be, then why are we even asking the question? Does that make sense?
2: Yeah. Certainly. Uh, I would be happy to begin. Go for it. If that Okay. I, I feel like what I see, at least in Western culture, is a very strong desire to answer questions like how and when, We see that something happens, we want to know how did that happen, when did that happen, etc. I feel like the Bible never cares about those questions as much as I read. And, And one of the things that I've pointed out a lot to people that I've had conversations with is think about all the things that exist in the world that we have discovered that are never mentioned in the Bible. Such as electricity or atoms or protons, neutrons, quarks, dating relationships. However, that's yeah, my exactly. hobby course. However, deep you want to get. And I, I feel like there's so much that God has left open to exploration for us. And the truth is, it, in scripture, it's not possible or even realistic to expect God to reveal every possible thing there is to know about all the realities of the universe into the Bible. That's an absurd notion. So what would be the most important thing to reveal to people? And and I feel like the most important thing seems to be for him to reveal himself. And so I guess a good place to start is maybe the creation story doesn't tell us so much the hows or the wins, but maybe tells us a little bit about the who and about the, the why. Uh, I,
0: yeah. Yeah. I think that's a great point, Chris. Um, and uh, uh, this is a little bit uncharted territory in our first episode of uh, getting into the... Everything's uncharted territory. Yeah, it's the first episode. True. Uh, getting into the better question territory. I, 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 w- I think before we do fully more get into it, like just make clear that, um, when we say better question, I think we need to just be clear about the fact that we're not trying to say that asking how old is the earth is a bad question. I, I believe there's no bad questions, really. They all lead you to finding knowledge and, uh, revealing God's truth and all of that. They, they, questions just take you on a journey. Um, but I think what we're saying, what we're trying what's to say, what's the more helpful? Question? What's a more helpful question? And what's a question that if you're gonna spend time researching, that you're gonna on the other side have a lot more fruit? I think yep. that might right. be a good that way to, a good to to phrase good.
2: it. What what well, line and of this may not apply to? Sorry, Andrew, this may not I'm apply to, to every question we address on this podcast. But also, sometimes it'll be what is an actually answerable question.
0: Mm. Mm. Correct. And so as we're going, like maybe we need to just like add a fourth thing before we talk about a better question, which is like, um, why do we feel we need a better question? Why, why is how old is the earth? The wrong question to ask. Well, can I go into that? Please. Yeah. Playing off of what Chris said a minute
1: ago, When I look at the Genesis account and I read it and I apply, obviously I'm applying hermeneutics interpretation and that is not objective. It's subjective. But when I read it, there doesn't seem to be a concern about explaining age or timetables or dates. Now someone could come right back and be like, Andrew, then why does it explicitly say day one, day two, day three, day four, day five, day six? Okay. Let's just assume that those days are meant to be there for time, right? I don't necessarily think that's what they're for, but let's go for it. Okay. Well now all we got is six days. We, even if we take it literally, God created the earth in six days. How long ago were those six days? Well, then someone goes, well, we use the um, genealogies, and that's where you lose me. If you read, from what I've read, genealogies at that time and that and those cultures were not meant to mark time. That is not what they're used for. Correct. And it's just obvious. If you just take those genealogies, genealogies of Jesus or the ones earlier in the Pentateuch, they just don't even add up if you take them literally in the ages. They leave out people there's no mention of women. You know what I mean? Like, they're not trying to... They're there to show something about that particular person. So, for instance, Jesus' genealogy is not there to show the amount of time between Adam and Jesus. It, there are theological motives as to which name is there. One, it connects Jesus to David, which was huge for Matthew if you're trying to show that Jesus is in part this new David. David. And the amount of numbers of names adds up to plays with the numbers of seven and 14, which is David's name in Hebrew. I don't want to bore you with that stuff, but it's just, for me, the genealogies are not there to mark time. They're not designed to mark time. And if you try to use them to mark time, I think you're just adding, you're just creating problems. And so for me, weighing all that, there's no evidence that Genesis or any of the Psalms that talk about creation have the topic of age or dating in mind. So for me, the question, how old is, is an irrelevant question because from, from the way I read it, the Bible isn't even concerned with that. It's question. not
0: concerned with that question. Yeah. And in fact, uh, also in, uh, Genesis, you'll hear, you'll see a lot over and over that so-and-so lived to this crazy age, 200, 300, 500, 600 years old. What was Methuselah? Like 800 years old. Yeah. And uh, I heard... Over 900. 900. That's right. And I heard... That guy um, was
1: eating dinner really early. (laughs) Yeah. Early bird.
0: (laughs) But uh, I've heard uh, a uh, pastor and an author um, and a professor named Tim Mackey Explain that at that time, this is like ancient, ancient, ancient times. They would use numbers and ages like that in genealogy, not literally, but as a way to show importance yeah. for that person. So, Well,
2: there's record of a king from a different culture, not with Israel, living, like reigning over 20,000 years. Right,
0: right.
1: And I've heard stories even in modern times in different cultures, people's age is determined by their importance. So I've heard people talk about they've heard people go up to speak and the person is obviously like in their early 40s, but the person uh, introducing him says they're like 80 or 90 and they asked why and it's because he has a level of honor in the community in the, and you give them the age that shows that even though he's not really 80 or 90. There are examples of that today right? in different cultures. Right,
0: and so... Um like I said earlier, like there's there's things that you can discover if you're asking the right questions that will will bear fruit and we they'll they'll just open your mind to um, the way people and societies acted in in times that are not the modern era in America, um, and when you take those into account, you're right, Chris. I like how you said the Bible is not about the the. Almost like the factual details. One of the things I've always, I'm I'm starting to discover more and more now, and that's really um, helpful to me is that this like modern, and I'd even say like not even just modern Western, but like the Western technological era, like post enlightenment. Exactly, post enlightenment has has deemed that the way to find ultimate truth is through the factual and the literal. Like almost that's the highest form of truth. If you tell me the facts of what happened, then that's the truth and there is no other truth beyond that. For instance, journalism is based on that. We need, in the modern era, journalism... Even today, I'm not trying to get political, but today more than ever, we need to know what the facts are. Right. Um, so, journalism is super important. You think about that type of thinking, it put a man on the moon, it put a computer in our pockets, put a thousand songs in our pockets. Exactly. Yeah. Um, it's done a million ma- amazing things. It has cured diseases and it has saved lives. Um, It's super, super important. But what I'm learning is a more ancient Eastern and an ancient Western, for that matter, line of thinking is that there's another way to get to truth. And it's through the symbolic. It's through um, metaphorical language. And we still use it today. We just think of it lesser in America for some reason. But like, if you asked me, Dan, why do you love your wife? And if I gave you all the facts, Of our relationship and the way we interact you would come away thinking i'm a robot yeah but i'm gonna say things like i just feel like she completes me like i was half a human until i met her i'm gonna use metaphorical language you're not gonna picture literally me cut in half and jessica like like lugging around the other half of me yeah and i'm lugging around the other half of her can
1: i share a personal quick story about literal versus metaphorical. yes please uh when i was in college my roommate hated poetry and for one of our classes he had to write a poem and he was in the library complaining about that like i hate poetry why can't i just get to the facts like why can't i just tell things how they are i'm tired of just like beating around the bush i'm tired of stuff like that and my friend colby goes were you literally beating around the bush <laughs> and like he just kind of froze up He's like, but and then Colby was like, so you had to use metaphorical language to convey your truth. And he, he was like,
2: and was right?
0: Like, we do it all the time. Exactly. Yeah. And the point is that um, at least to like, we always want to put one above the other. But what I'm learning is that a maybe more well-rounded way to look and at least a more um, ancient way to look at it is that they're actually both equal that truth is a third thing, and those are just two ways to get to the truth, right? You have the literal and you have the metaphorical, and they're both equally important. Think of them as tools in your tool bag. And so when you look at the scripture, you need to realize that the writers that wrote these scriptures thousands of years ago are are doing just that. They have yeah. both tools and they wield them equally as much, equally as often, and you have to do the hard homework to figure out which tool they're using at what time. Um, So why do we need a better question than how old is the earth? Well, because the writers of the Bible at that time were not, like Chris said, concerned with answering that question. They were concerned with revealing who their God is.
2: I'm going to throw a question. Hey, speaking of that, can I begin reshaping this metaphor Reshape it. to uh, start leading us to wherever we might land on a better question. Go for it. Okay, so one of the things that has recently in the co- recently in the context of biblical scholarship come to light to help with this question that I think starts to lead us where we want to go is the discovery of what's called the Enuma Elish, and we don't have time to get into all of that. Uh, It's super interesting if you want to go Google it and read it. Um, but, But essentially there is another creation story from ancient Mesopotamia, very close to ancient Israel, that is very similar to the creation story Israel tells, but there are some key differences, some of which being the gods creating uh, the cosmos out of violence, and humans created to be slaves for the gods. And you see this story that Israel tells about Yahweh that is very similar to the Enuma Elish, but there's some key differences, such as There's not violence, but there's a God who creates order out of the chaos. Humanity isn't created to be slaves for the gods, but instead is created in the image of God. He has this very intimate um, relationship with his creation. And so when we see those patterns side by side, I think it begins to paint this picture of, well, what was this story trying to communicate? And if we can land on that, I feel like it, it illuminates more. What is the question we should be coming to the text with?
1: Can I throw out the first proposed better question? Yes. Based on what Chris just said, loved it about, um, God being a God who orders the chaos, who creates things in love, not out of slavery, Maybe we should stop asking how old is the earth when it comes to creation, but when we look at Genesis, no matter if you interpret literally or mythically or metaphorically, whatever, we're all looking at the same story. What if we just start asking instead, what does God's creative action tell us about God? Or how do, what does creation tell us about God?
0: Man, that's a great question.
1: Because when we start to ask that, what are the where do we start? What journey do we go down? We start seeing that God God's creation tell us tells us that he orders the chaos, that God creates out of love, and that he he wants to work with humans. One of the biggest things about the creation story that speaks to me is that God didn't do all the didn't do all the work. God created everything and he did all this stuff, but then he turns to Adam and says, Name the animals. Mm. Take care of the fields. He he wants from the way I read it, he wants to work with us. God isn't content to just do everything and then just make us do stuff like, and just be like, okay, here's everything I have to do. He goes, no, no, no. What do you have to say, Adam? Name it. Right. What do you which, have to say?
0: Which is a message to us. That's old news, but to ancient Israel in surrounded by other cultures, which probably have, uh, a lot of stories that are similar to the Enuma Elish. I don't think I said that right. Uh, You say it confidently, no one cares. That's right. Um, Where it would just be a revolutionary idea at its time that God is not, the gods are not um, here to lord over humans. But in fact...
2: Oh, I thought you were going to say the gods are not angry. (laughs) I thought he was going
0: to say that too. The gods are not angry. Uh, No. That's a film you can watch. Yep. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, I recommend it. it. I love love that question.
2: Yeah. I love that question too, because I think it ties up two questions that I had in my mind that I thought were important. And I guess the point is to come up with one question, not two, uh, which were one, where did all of this come from, which I think is a way better question than how old is all of this, but from where did this originate and we see, well, well, from a creator a loving creator, not just by random chance. And then the second question being what type of relationship does the creator have with his creation is, is he someone who created it and then just left it on its own to run and is distant or does he have a loving intimate relationship with this creation that he has said is good and that he wants to partner with?
0: Yeah. May I propose another possible question? Sure. So when you when we ask how old is the earth? It it obviously the bulk of our conversation so far has been about creation, has been about biblical interpretation. And so your question Andrew, I love it because it kind of wraps all those things together. But I'm wondering if like we're taking the focus off of the earth, right? Mm. So I'm wondering if a better question if we're going to theme this episode on how old is the earth, to be a still earth-centric question. An earthy question. And so I'm wondering if a better question would be something like, how do we take care of the earth today? Um, what ways can we... Uh, how are we supposed to... What does God want us to do with this earth? Correct. Right. Which, again, has it roots in the creation story. God saying, like, take care of the fields and be fruitful and multiply and um, all those things about giving us dominion over this earth. Um, And again, not to get political, but just like have Christians drop the ball in letting this earth just, you know, be covered in trash, you know, literally. And uh, I'm just wondering if a better question than how old is the earth is what do we do with the earth today?
1: Right. And the reason I like... All these questions we've raised is because if I'm gonna walk into church on Sunday and I listen to a sermon that's all about proving and showing how old the earth is, I'm gonna leave that having some mental stimulation. I would be interested in like my brain would get a lot of food, but I'm not leaving church that Sunday moved, inspired, or filled with God's spirit or anything. But if if the sermon's all about it
2: doesn't call you no, to action. No, it doesn't
1: move. It doesn't feed my soul. But if I listen to a sermon about what does creation tell me about God or God's purpose for me in relation to the earth or or what's God's intention for me as his creation, it created in his image, like that will, like Chris just said, call me to action. It will inspire me to live out my life as a child of God, a Christ follower. And it, it, man, it, it, it just will stimulate me in a totally different way than just like,
0: I learned some things, and that question will lead you to other great questions and will lead you to uncover deeper right. truths than I, you I ever feel like, would have before. I feel like the
1: question, how old is the earth, is a question that doesn't lead you any closer to God.
2: Right. right. What do you... Well, it stops. It stops, if yeah. You, yeah. No matter what your answer is, how old is the earth? It's 6,000 years old. Okay. Cool or it's 4.5 billion years Which, old. Okay. It stops there, but the questions we're talking about take you somewhere. If yep. we if we're asking, well where did this all come from? Well, it comes from a creator. How does he relate to his creation? Well, he's he says it's good. He is in relationship with it. There there's a love element, there's a partnership element. Then it becomes, well then how do I relate to this creation? How do I relate to this Creator, How do I partner with him in this creation? It, it continues to take you somewhere. And, and I think that's the goal here.
0: Correct. Word. So uh, we didn't take a whole lot of time discussing uh, better questions because Andrew just dropped a bomb on us right from the top. Andrew, can you repeat that question that you proposed? There's
2: no way he remembers it.
0: <laughs> Challenge accepted. Accept <laughs> it. The question that came to my brain
1: was, um, well, now Chris put pressure on me and I'm starting to forget it. For me, the better question is, um, what does the creation account tell us about God? Mm. What does the act of God's creation reveal about God? I feel like that's the better question because it it dives me deeper into God's character and his will um, and his identity and that is a road that keeps going and going and
0: going. Right. And based on just my reading and study, I think it's that gets better to the heart of the author's original intention. Yeah. In writing. The focus
1: of the, the creation original... account is is totally on the relationship between God and his creation.
0: Correct. Yeah. So what does
1: the creation account tell us about God? And here's here's the, something I want to make clear. That is a question for Anyone in these camps, if you read yep. Genesis literally, like we're not here to argue about that, but that is a question you can ask and get um, uh, juice from, whether you believe it's a literal account, but, you know, there's the gap theory or whatever. If you are a Christian, that I think is a question that is helpful And better in that sense. It's better because it's helpful. It goes somewhere. It takes you further.
2: Yeah. Well, and not only that, but I would even argue that no matter where you are in that camp, whether you are someone who believes six to 10,000 years, someone who believes, well, older, but scripture says it's older, or someone who says scripture and the science story don't have to necessarily align. I think we actually could all agree on what the creation account says about God. And that is where the power of the story in lies. Right. Well,
0: thank you guys for listening, especially those of you that fall in the I don't care camp. You've listened to a pretty long podcast if you don't care. Uh, I just realized we, we, uh, completely forgot about well, dissecting I, I wanted that. to
1: bring them back up as like, I think those are the people who are like secretly smarter than everybody because mm. if, if you don't care because you're apathetic, I think that's wrong. But if you don't care because you've already weighed and decided that that question isn't helpful for you, like they were already ahead of us.
0: Right. They, they got to the end of the podcast. We, we've met them here. Yeah. Here they all are. They just been waiting. Yeah. They've asked that. They've asked the question already a long time ago. Yeah. Um, But yeah, this has been the Ask Better Questions podcast. Uh, I'm Dan. This is Andrew and Chris. And uh, we've asked the question, what does the creation account tell us about God? The answer is up to you.